0: How are we doing? You guys good? Well, so glad that you're here tonight. Listen, we are going to jump right in uh, to some scripture tonight. If you've got a Bible, uh, grab it and turn to James chapter 1. Yes. James chapter 1. We are going to do, just at the beginning of this semester, more of an expository uh, series. Normally, we have like topics, and we'll we'll use topics and go, hey, here's what the Bible says about that. Um, But right now... Uh, as we kind of enter into this new semester, we just wanted to like get into God's word and let it pick the topics for us as we dive in. And so really two hopes uh, with this series. One is that we just let the living word of God speak to us, hit us right where we are. Uh, We're not uh, trying to uh, determine any subject matter other than what the writer in James is gonna say. So that's our hope that he's going to speak to every one of us through his word, which we believe that and know that will happen. Um, the second is that sometimes when we go expository, it might help you if you uh, are, are new to faith, or, or like you're not used to reading God's word, or like, I, "I read it, but I don't understand it, and I don't know how to like approach this thing. Um, that's great. Um, as we preach through the Bible, hopefully for you, it will be helpful to, for you to just see kind of how we approach it, you know, how we get into the text kind of read through it think through it and all of that anytime we get into the bible uh the bible doesn't just mean anything we want it to mean right like i can't just open it up go to a verse kind of pick out like half a verse and be like oh that's cool that verse uh says uh you know i can do all things through christ who strengthens me awesome man i'm gonna go start a business and become a millionaire now i probably could Or I'm going to go bet on the Cowboys to win a playoff game and lose it all right now. That verse is out of context. It's not what Paul was talking about. He was actually talking about contentment in that verse. So there's a meaning. And so as we get into uh, the book of James, what we want to do is we want to know what James means and uh, the big seminary term for that is hermeneutics. But I want to teach you real quick, when you any book of the Bible that you read, um, a couple things you want to know going in. Now, the Bible is 66 books written over thousands of years, actually. Uh, it's the history of God's people. It has a narrative where God, by the way, is the main character in all of it, not you. I just want to make that clear. He's the main character. Jesus is the main character throughout the story arc of Scripture, and so... Um, but there's a lot of literary things going on. Some things are poetry, some things are prophetic, some things are like, uh, you know, end of times and dragons and like, I don't know what to do with the, the old, you know, um, well, revelation just in general, but the apocrypha text. Uh, but then there's letters and there's all kinds of different things that we look at. Um, but real quick, what I would say is this, before I can know what this verse or this, this scripture means to me, I must first understand what the author meant for them everything that was written had an audience that they were writing to. And so I'm asking, who's the author? I'm asking, uh, what's the audience? Who's he writing to or uh, what's going on? Uh, well, that's the third one, the occasion. Uh, what's happening? What's going on in this moment? Are, is Israel in exile while this is being written? Uh, is Israel in the middle of the desert while this thing's being written? Uh, are Romans in, the rule, in rule right now? Is it more in, uh, you know, the turn of the century, is it B.C.? I mean, all these things matter to the context. So we're gonna ask those questions. And the good thing is, in James chapter one, man, he, this, this writer is so great to like, we don't have to dig. Verse one, he kind of tells us some of this. Here we go. James chapter one, verse one. He says, James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersions, greetings. Greetings. So at the very beginning of this one verse, we find out who the author is, we find out uh, the occasion, and we have to do a little digging uh, on on dates and all of that, but we also know the audience, all right? We know it, right? Who's the author? James, yeah, you're like, is this a trick question? Yeah, it's just James. Um, Here's the problem with James. There's like a bunch of Jameses in the Bible Did you know this? I mean, there's a James, the son of Zebedee. There's a few other James. I mean, even Jesus' brother's name is James. What James is it? Or what John is it? When John says, I'm writing, there's like a bunch of Johns. Well, we know this. We know that John, the son of Zebedee or the son of thunder, we know it probably can't be him because this would be written after he's already died, we know that this text through a historian like Josephus and all that, it was written around 45 AD to 48 AD. We know this is the time period. Claudius, one of the uh, Caesars, is reigning. He's going to be handing it over to Nero. But the church, in this occasion, is ruled uh, the Jewish people under Roman rule and Rome at its height. I mean, you know Caesar, you've heard these things. But what's happening is as the church is being born, there's major, major persecution going on. And it's not just Rome, it's actually first among the Jews. Because the Jewish people would see this Christian sect, the way, as something that they needed to stop. And it didn't stop, uh, persecution didn't stop after Jesus. I mean, they're still trying to put these house churches down, uh, trying to uh, eradicate what God is doing. So, So the Jewish people, or the scribes and the Pharisees, these would be the people persecuting. And in fact, a little history on James, the brother of Jesus, which is who I think wrote this. He's stoned and killed in 62 AD by Pharisees. He's actually martyred by them. But we also know the occasion of this is that Rome is starting to also persecute the church. In fact, when Nero becomes emperor, it gets very, very bad. So we know the author is James. It's actually James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, so to speak. You see, Mary, contrary to... Contrary to like popular belief, some people think that she is a virgin the whole time. Not true. Uh, Jesus would be firstborn, uh, He was born of a virgin, but then Joseph and Mary would get married, they would have more children. James was Jesus' brother. And what's crazy about this is that um, if there's any reason to believe that Jesus really is God, I mean, his siblings who didn't believe him while he was alive, James being one of them comes to faith and comes to believe that his own brother is God, is the king of kings. I mean, could you imagine that with your own siblings? Just, just for a second, like if you're like, hey, Messiah here, like bow, like <laughs> no one in your family's gonna have it, right? You're like, there's no way, there's no way. I mean, it has to be an act of God for that to happen and for James to make a turn, but he doesn't just make a turn. He confesses Jesus Lord. He lives out and becomes kind of uh, one of the head first overseers of the church in Jerusalem. Big deal. And then he's martyred for his faith. The brother. So that's who wrote it. The audience, it says, is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This is actually referring to two things. 12 tribes is significant. There's 12 tribes in Israel. He's saying, Israel, you can be in this. This is for you. You can be a part of the church. But when he says dispersion, he's he's speaking about a very specific group of people, the Christians, those who are following Jesus, proclaiming Jesus. And what's happened is Jerusalem's gotten so bad that all of these churches are all out, all over the place. And so when he writes this, he doesn't write it to one church. He writes it to the church. And this church is experiencing major persecution, which leads to why he kicks this thing off a little heavy. Um, so let's get into it. James chapter one, and here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, It is expository. The problem with expository is like, I could honestly spend six weeks in James chapter one easily, right? Uh, In fact, some of the guys, as we've been sermon clubbing this, I'm like, man, there's like a lot just in James one, and we don't have the whole semester to do this, so I am gonna kind of go like you know 30,000 feet. We're gonna read through some things, and then we're gonna swoop down and look at a few texts and kind of stick to those, okay? Uh, So tonight... I'm just going to read a little bit, uh, James 1, 2 through 5, and then I want to skip down uh, to 12 through 18. Here's what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Skip down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." that was a lot of scripture, right? There's a lot there. What I wanna do is jump back up to the top and I wanna talk about a few things. First, when he says, count it all joy, my brothers, verse two. I want you to see three specific things about trials. He says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Number one, what James wants you and I to know is that you will have trials. It's not an if, it's not like some of you, man, it may go bad for you, you might suffer a little bit, so I need to talk to those that are gonna suffer. He doesn't say if, he says when. You will have hardship. Jesus echoes this in John sixteen thirty three. he says, I have said all these things to you, he's talking to the disciples, that in me you might have peace in me. Why? Because in this world you will have tribulation, you will have problems, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus even takes his disciples aside, he's like, hey listen, this idea that now that you follow me, that I'm just gonna like wreak havoc on the world and I'm gonna be king, and I'm gonna reign here, right here, and y'all could be my right hand guys and we're just gonna own this place. He's like, no, actually, let me promise you what's come for me. I'm about to die. Y'all are all gonna die. This is gonna be tough. You will struggle. Thanks, Jesus. Wow, this is encouraging. But then he says, but take heart because I have overcome all of it. And we'll get to that in a minute. There's a key verse I want you to also know. It's 1 Peter 4.12. Think about this. So Peter says this as well to the early church, similar time period. He says this, beloved, he's talking to the church. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's the same language. Hey, don't be surprised when a test comes your way, when trials come your way, when you suffer. And so we have this testing language. All, a lot of y'all are in college. You're like, testing. Man, that's, like a, that's a bad four-letter word. I don't know. You know, like, I don't want to test. Uh, testing's bad, and here I am in Scripture, you're telling me like we're gonna be tested even in our faith, in, in, in our walk with God. Yeah, yeah, you are. And you should consider it a joy. Wow, how? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But I don't know about you, as long as my expectations are set, I'm good, usually. And I feel like that's what James, he's like, I wanna set your expectations, things can go bad for you, in fact, they're going to at some point or another, and it may not even just be one time, and you're like, oh, I got through it. It might keep happening. You might struggle. Man, like if I go to a restaurant and they tell me there's no wait, and then I roll up in there and they're like, well, actually some people just came. It's gonna be an hour long, right? I'm like, that's when I kind of get, I'm like, wait, you said no wait. Now I gotta, how long? Oh, it'll only be 15 minutes. Yeah, you're like, yeah, right. You seen that line? An hour later, right? That like, that upsets me. It doesn't upset you guys. It upsets me. I got on this um, roller y thing, and I'm cool with rollercoasters, uh, but we were in Universal Studios, and I don't know if you've been there, the thing called Atlantis. I wasn't really paying attention, I'm with my, my uh, daughter, we're hanging out, this is fun, having a great time, and they're like, oh, you wanna do that little log ride? And so my expectation I said to them, but I did. Okay, first off, they're like, "It's just a little log ride through through the park." That's what I'm. I'm like, "That's cool, like Lazy River uh, at Universal Studios in a log." I can do that. I said, "Do you get wet?" They're like, "Nah, you don't get wet." (laughs) Y'all, head to toe soaked all the way through. I got soaky wet drawers the whole rest of the day from that. They lied to me. That was not my expectation. And I go down, and then plus they're like, oh, by the way, there's like a 200-foot drop here at the end, and you just, if you've been there, it's, it's intense. Y'all, in, in college, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be transparent with you. My friends took me to a movie, and I don't do horror movies, all right? I don't like that stuff. I really don't. Some of y'all are so weird. You just like love when people are like massacred and when it scares you and just like all that. All right, I ain't judging right now, but some guys are like, hey, we're gonna go see this movie. It's new out. I was not paying. I didn't know, like I didn't see the trailer. I don't know. At this point, it's an older movie, so y'all know what I'm talking about, but they take me this movie called The Ring. I thought it's like a romantic comedy. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's like one of those movies where it's like romantic comedy and then The Ring and all this, y'all. Not only that, But my friends were supposed to like spend the night with me. I was still a bachelor at this time. And so we go watch this movie, y'all. I was not prepared. If you haven't seen it, just don't. Maybe it's not scary to y'all. Freaked me out. So we get home, I'm like, uh, I was not aware or paying attention to any of this. So we get home and I'm trying to play cool with my friends, but I'm like, that freaked me out, that was kind of weird. I was like, I didn't like that. And then my buddy's like, dude, I gotta work early in the morning. I think actually I'm gonna bail. Yeah, I probably will, too. Three of them left. It's 2 a.m. I'm by myself in this apartment. And every time I close my eyes, I just picture this little girl with, like, wet hair just standing beside my bed. So I'm trying to sleep, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I heard, like, a fly going in the in – the, just, if you've seen the movie, I don't do that stuff. Now, if I have the expectation, like, hey, it's a scary movie, it's going to be kind of creepy, then I'm going in kind of, like, ready. You know, I'm like, all right, I ain't going to be scared. You know, I'm going to be all right. But if it's like that wasn't an expectation set, then we're in trouble. What James is wanting to do for the whole church, because there's this idea that, like, man, if I'm following Jesus, everything should go well for me. Some of us think that. And so when it doesn't, what do we do? We go, ah, God's punishing me, or God got distracted. And so he's not paying attention because how can this happen to me, God? I do all this stuff for you, and how can I suffer? And he's like, listen, I want to tell you right at the beginning of this thing, you're going to suffer. There will be trials. Now, the word, the Greek word here for trials, there's there's really two meanings, and we're gonna get into both of them. One is uh, testing as is related to, uh, I think it was 1 Timothy 6 where he talks about this. It's an enticement to sin, that actually temptation is a testing of your faith. It is a trial to be tempted in sin, and I'm gonna get to that in just a second, but he's also talking about trials, and trials that are related to an external force that something happens. and In the early church, there was illness, not not much uncommon to what we have, with some diagnosis that hits that I wasn't expecting, or financial hardship. The early church was very, very poor in this community. That's why it was so important that they were sharing things. But they had poverty. There was issues in the church politically. There was persecution. He's saying there's gonna be trials. So the first thing he wants you to know is you will be tried. Your faith will be tested. And it will be tested through suffering. You will suffer. Some of you in here, let's just be honest, you might be in the middle of it right now. You might be struggling or you might have just come out of it like I had some stuff happen to me over the last few years. I'm still trying to recover. I don't know where to go, what to do with it, but I'm trying to get through that. And some of y'all are in the middle of it right now. And some of y'all, it's like a storm brewing that's on its way. Now, I don't say that to say, like, hey, for all of you who don't already have anxiety, let's have some more, right? That shoe could drop at any moment. We're all going down. No. I wanna give you some encouragement. Don't you worry. Number two, what he wants you to know is there is purpose in your trials, it is not for nothing. We don't suffer just randomly. There's actually purpose. God wants to do something in it. Let's look at James 1, 3 again. Consider it joy, which why would anyone consider trials joy? But he says, because you should know that the testing of your faith, it will produce something in you. It isn't purposeless. It's gonna produce an endurance and an endurance that leads to a contentment in life where I totally and fully trust in God and rely on him and I'm not worried, I'm trusting it's a picture of Jesus sleeping on that boat when the storm's going crazy. Like, he's complete. He's not worried about the storm around him. He's relying on the Lord. And so much of our stress, so much of our panic comes when we're like, oh, I'm not in control in this thing. I don't know how to control this. And we start freaking out, and God's like, no, no, I'm gonna use this so that you will rely on me again, that you will lean in. You gotta know that there's purpose in your trials. So two things happen to you when you suffer for all of us, two things will happen. Number one, when you truly suffer, when something doesn't go right, it's going to reveal where your faith is. It's a revealing thing. This test will reveal what you know, right? That's what a test does. Well, in faith, it's gonna reveal what you're trusting in. It's gonna reveal how strong your faith is. So at the moment something goes bad, I'm like, ah, forget all this. Or the moment it goes bad, what is your response? It's going to reveal what your faith is in. Number two, it will strengthen the faith that you do have. I want you to know, students, it's not all or nothing. You either believe or you don't. Like there are, right, there are elements of that. It's like that dad that's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. You come in with faith, but it's going to be tried and tested to see what's there. And then also it's going to be strengthened. It's a lot like working out at the gym. I don't go to the gym to get muscles. Your body, you were created and made with muscles. You already have them, I already have them. Mine are small, they're hard to see, but if I do this, you can see them. But you have muscles, I have muscles. I go to the gym, the gym reveals how strong I am, reveals how much muscle strength I have and how much I can resist the weight. But at the same time, it actually strengthens the muscles and grows them. This is what suffering will do in your life. It's going to show you some things, but it's also going to strengthen you. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? It's actually biblical. There's there's a truth in this that when I go through something, I come out the other side, and I can say, hey, man, it's not the end of the world when that happens. It's not the end of the world for you if that goes down. Man, I've survived it. God's carried me through it. Y'all, when my parents were divorced when I was 11 years old because of an affair, my mom hadn't ripped our family apart. I didn't even have a faith. I was just like, I don't even know what to do with this. And then a year later, my dad dies. My brother won't even talk about it, my only brother, and I'm just kind of alone in this deal. And yet right now, y'all, I don't know what God his specific plan in that was, but I can look back 30 years and see how he shaped me and grown me. And I I can't tell you how many people have walked through losing a loved one and been like, like, I'm with you. It is the worst, but let's walk through this. You're gonna be okay. Our struggles, our, our testing brings us out on the other side stronger. When you are tempted, if it's a trial on temptation, it's going to reveal wrong desires in you. And that's okay. Listen, having a wrong desire, having a temptation, even Jesus had temptations. Temptation's not a sin. What did it say there? It said when uh, a person is tempted, he's lured and enticed by his own desires, verse 14. And then when desire has conceived, that is, when I act on it, it's sin. Temptation acted on is sin. Temptation is not sin. Especially don't buy into the lie that just because you're tempted, you might as well do whatever it is that you feel tempted in because you're already sinning. No, no, no. That's what we're resisting. I am tempted in that. God, I need you to work on that. It's revealing in me a wrong desire. I don't have the right desire for you. So help me in this. If it's an external trial, it will reveal the idols in your life. An external trial will always reveal things that you're leaning on that aren't God. And that could be a lot of things. And I wanna encourage you to battle through it because guess what? That's coming for you. And it is gonna reveal things. And you don't just give up and throw in the towel. You lean into Jesus and say, Jesus, help me with this. I'm not strong enough for this. I'm leaning on my savior. He's not just the savior the moment you accept Christ and go, I need you to save me. He is still my savior. He's still rescuing me from this stuff. So know that that in your suffering there is purpose. And number three, what James wants you to know, that actually God in the middle of your suffering is good. He's still good, and he rewards those who endure. Your faith, if it's real, it will endure. It might be hanging by a thread at times. There may be moments that you are doubting some serious doubting of the goodness of God going, what are you doing right now? Where have you gone? Even the psalmist said that. That's an okay question, but it shouldn't derail you to stop looking for him or to seek him in this moment. It should bring you back to go, God, I'm going to trust you. I need you to give me wisdom. Just like James 1.5 says, if you lack wisdom, if you lack perspective in this moment, ask God. He wants to give that to you. And so God is good in our trials we're not suffering to be punished or because God forgot about us. He's doing something. And we were at a staff retreat uh, for our church and Pastor Jerry Royal, he shared, some, he shared some things he's learning. If you don't know about his wife, Mary, who we all love, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. They've been through the ringer over the last six months. And he's just like, here's some stuff I'm learning. And a guy that's going through suffering like that, I lean in, I'm like, what are you learning? A guy that's 60 years old and lived life When he says, here's some stuff I'm learning, I lean into that. And here are two things he shared. Number one, he says, what I call good and what God calls good may not be the same thing. That's good, y'all. That wasn't for me, that's from him. But you gotta think about that. What I consider good, what I think is good may not be what God considers good. What's good for me, comfort. I call that good, right? I call a steak dinner and, you know, some pie on the side. I mean, man, that's good. I don't want to struggle. I don't want want something to be difficult. I don't want to get sick. I don't want my car to break down. I don't want to be broke. If I have that, I would call that not good. But God might be saying, no, this is for your good. You need to learn something right now. God's purpose is not your comfort. His purpose for you is not your comfort. His purpose for you is your holiness. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 28 and 29, catch this. Some of us know part of this verse, but let's get all of it. We know that for those who love God, all things, say all things. Okay, cool, y'all are with me. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He's saying it's all going to turn out for the goodness of God. Because he's the main story, right? I'm not the main character. He is. And it's going to turn out good. And then he says this, for those he foreknew he predestined for what? What was his destination for us? What did he want for us? He wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. His goal for you is holiness. His goal for you is to look like Jesus. Good for me is my comfort. Good for God is conforming to his son. See that? That's what he calls good. So what? Do I really have faith that's strong enough to trust God, to trust that he's good when things are going terribly in my perspective? It's easy to sit here and preach about this. It's easy to talk about it. But some of you are like, but do you know the specifics of my situation? Do you know what I've been through? And I don't. But I know God does, and I want to give you a so what. I want to give you two really practical things. If trials are going to come, and I know that trials have a purpose, and I know that according to verse 12 and verse 17, that God is good and he has good gifts for us, what do I do when I face trials and testing? And what I want to tell you is this. Number one, stop asking why God and start asking what God. Why God's the wrong question. And by the way, God doesn't owe any of us explanation. He's God. But I'm going to trust that he's good. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to say, God, why me? I'm the victim here. Oh, man. Y'all, I'm like in America. I'm not a victim. Like This, this country is really good. There's difficult things. But like we can always compare down and go, like, man, I have it great. honestly. That's not what I want to do with God. And I'm not, not belittling the things that I've been through, the things you've been through. But we're asking the wrong question. We're just like, why God? But when I, when I go, hey, God, there's purpose in this, so I'm going to ask, what is it? I want to ask, what? What are you trying to show me, Lord? What are you trying to teach me right now? What impurity in my life are you trying to burn away? It's kind of that image of gold, right? Gold is awesome, valuable but almost all gold has impurities and it. it has to be refined and it only can be refined in fire. It has to be heated up. I don't even know the temperature. Y'all can Google that, but you know what I'm saying? It has to be heated up. So those impurities come out of it and it gets stronger and becomes more pure. And that's what God is doing in your life and wants for you. And it's only through trials. The team that never loses, never learns. They're just fine. In fact, I don't know if you know about this, but a tree, when you plant a tree, if it, uh, if it doesn't grow, I was, I was watching this thing, these like, you know, gardener green thumb people. And they said that if we can't get a tree to grow, what we do is we take a staff, a stick, a bat or something, and we hit the trunk and cause trauma. And that trauma is what allows the roots to wake up, begin to take root, and the trees grow. That's actually how they revive a tree. Sometimes God gets our attention through these things. Sometimes things happen to us that like kind of jolt us forward. And some of y'all know this. The closest you've ever been to God in your life was probably in a time of difficulty, not when everything's fine. It's actually really dangerous when everything's going good. Even with Israel, they didn't need God anymore. They're fine. It's when I was desperate for God that He felt the closest to me in that season. So how do I stay in that place? Well, first off, when you're struggling, Ask what, not why. Number two, and this is how I want to end. Remember that there's a reward coming. I think sometimes we think this world is it. So when this world doesn't go well, we're like, well, man, my whole life's messed up. And God's like, listen, at best, you're living 80, maybe 90, maybe 100 years, and then it's eternity. But we keep thinking that this is all there is. And man, I gotta get mine here on this earth because this, I gotta live things to the fullest. And God's like, oh my goodness, would you believe me that there's so much more for you after this? And in fact, this life is simply preparing you for eternity? to be with me, to walk with me, to worship me, to know me, that I'm actually using this life to conform you into someone who wants my presence and wants to be in heaven, and so I'm gonna bring you in with me. We get so caught up that this world's all there is. And he's like, no, no, there's a reward. There's a reward. When Ellie was three years old, she's our oldest daughter now. I think Rach was seven months pregnant with our second child. And Ellie was three, she's seven months pregnant, and we were like, hey, let's go on a special trip, just the three of us. We're about to be a family of four. Let's take her on a trip. And she's just old enough that Disney's gonna like blow her mind, right? Like, we're like, let's take her. Like, she's into princesses, she likes them. We're gonna do this. And so we tell Ellie, we're gonna go see the princesses. And she's three, so she's like, great. Are they across the street? Like, where are we, like, where are they? I'm like, no, they're in Florida. Florida, where's that? Well, it's a little ways away. I can't even, she's three. I can't even like communicate to her. Like we got to travel a little bit. So we get in the car. The day comes finally for this trip and we're driving to the airport from here. So, you know, it's not like living in Wichita Falls. We were living at that time near Tyler. We had to drive similar two hours to the airport to go. She's like 20 minutes in. Are we there? Are we there, dad? She's in her Aurora dress, ready to go are we there? Princess slippers are on, right? And I'm like, oh, baby, like, we're just trying to get to the plane that takes us there. She's like, okay. 10 minutes later, dad, are we there now? No, we are not there. We finally get to the airport, y'all. We're bringing her in. She's so ecstatic. She's like, there's no princesses here. I'm like, baby, like, no, we're not there yet. And then we get to this point where she has to go through the metal detector. Now, this was a first for us as parents. We should have done it to where Rachel went through first and then she went through and all. We didn't know, we just sent her through. We're like, go. She's like three, she doesn't know. She's like carrying her doll, trying to get through the thing and she starts crying. She's like, feels alone. I'm like, I'm right here. She's like, daddy. And they're like taking her through and wanding her, you know, and she's like, what is happening? And I'm like, it's gonna be fine. This is normal, this is normal. And for a minute there, she kind of freaks out. We get her back. We're good. We finally get to the plane. Now, she also hated loud noises, and the airport is noisy. Then we get in the plane. They fire up that engine, y'all. She's like freaking out. It's like so loud. And I'm like, this is normal. This is okay. So then we take off. Any of y'all that have young kids, I'm going to give you a heads up what happens when you take off. All right? Some of y'all know this because you've been on a plane with a young kid, and they instantly start crying, right? And you're like, shut that baby up. But all of us were like, no, I feel for you. I'm that parent. It was the worst. I don't know how to stop crying. What happens is the cabin pressurizes. So their ears, they start feeling that pressure. They don't know how to equalize or like yawn on command. So Ellie, she just starts crying. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You know, she's like, ah. And so finally we figured out, we give her like a bottle and she's like drinking juice, suck it down. You know, and she's like, she gets a drink. She pressurizes. We're good, y'all. We're getting to Florida now. We got her a juice. I got my ginger ale. We're going to see some princesses. Then we hit some turbulence. Forgot to tell her about the turbulence, and we have a little, you know, thing, and she's just like gripping my arm, right? I'm like, this is fine. He comes on, he's like, hey, little turbulence, we're gonna head up to a little bit higher and all that. So we get through that. We also land kind of sketch we come in pretty hot and so I forgot to I'm just like man I'm supposed to warn her about this but we hit really hard we're kind of scraping around and she's freaking out again but we land and we finally make it y'all we're in Disney World except we're not we're at the airport <laughs> <laughs> so we get off the plane she's like Where are the princesses they're not here right and then she's like well can we go and I'm like actually you have to wait till tomorrow y'all so the scene the look on her face she's just like like tomorrow it's still sunny here. I'm like, I know the time change, you know, but we didn't plan to buy a ticket that's $700 just so we can go for one hour today, right? Um, so it's just to wait. But then comes the day. And if you've been to Disney, you know there's a couple ways in. We took the ferry and we're hanging with her and she's excited, but she still doesn't know what's going on. And we round this corner and Rachel points and she sees the castle for the first time, y'all. It's awesome. Help me out with that, Jace. Picture before that, Jace. Sorry. (laughs) There's the one I'm talking about. She sees it. She sees it in the distance. She is freaking out. We get her into Main Street, y'all. Next picture, Jace, thank you, sir. Y'all, she's on Main Street. She's like, the castle. Here's what you need to know. Everything difficult about that trip does not matter. She could care less about the turbulence. She doesn't even remember the metal detector. She doesn't remember any of it. All that matters is she is there, y'all, and she is in the presence of the, the castle. She's got the princesses. And yeah, the trip was difficult, but the destination's so much better. And sometimes I think God wants to grab us and go, listen, your journey right now, it's hard. It's difficult. This is gonna be difficult because you live in a broken world with broken people. And by the way, you are broken. So it's going to be difficult. The journey is difficult, but the destination is worth it. There's going to come a day, y'all, when all the pain, even me losing my dad, I get to see him again. It isn't over. You've lost a loved one. It's not over. We think it's just this life. No, no, no. There's a whole nother life we're living for. Have we forgotten that Jesus is coming back and he's gonna write everything? And so James wants us to see and know that the world is not the destination, that I'm producing something in you through suffering, something that's greater for later, and that the Lord is using this world to prepare you for eternity. That God is good, that he's for you and he's doing something in you. And yeah, maybe God's definition of good is different than yours, but trust his definition. In James five, seven through eight, he kind of bookmarked or bookends this idea in the last chapter as well. In James five, it says this, be patient. Be patient therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for his precious fruit in the earth. Be patient about it. Until it receives the early and late rains, you also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's going to come back. Be patient now. Let him work on you. Reach your friends and show them the eternity that they can have too. There is a Disney World that is way better than Disney World. That involves a king named Jesus. And we want all of our friends and our family to be there, y'all. This is gonna happen. And so I'll close with this as the band comes. James 5:13, a couple of verses later. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Let him pray. Are you suffering right now? Are you struggling with something right now? We're just gonna spend some time responding. Asking God maybe to give us wisdom and and, and give us an answer maybe to some of the what is going on in our life. Being in his presence and allowing him to give us perspective again about what he's doing and where we're headed. But maybe you actually do need some prayer tonight. Maybe there are some things that are really heavy on you. And our team, we're just going to be kind of like right over here on this side, right over here on this side. We'll have a couple in the back. And if you want someone to pray with, we're gonna respond for a couple songs. We wanna give you space to pray, to sit and think, to bring some of your frustrations, some of your sufferings, some of these trials maybe that you've already been through, maybe a temptation that you're battling right now that you can't seem to overcome. We're gonna bring it before the Lord who can. In Revelation 21.3, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell within and they will be his people and God himself will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eye and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying. There'll be no more pain for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making it all new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, that is, I'm the beginning and I am the end. To all who thirst, I will give them the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be their God and they will be my son and my daughter. Let's respond.